Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Kim Morton, uh, chair of the board of directors for the Campbell School of Mines Association Limited. Um, And also he's a chartered surveyor in land and resources. Um, I thought it'd be good to get Kim on the podcast uh, to get his take on what is happening in the educational uh, industry um, involving the studying of mining related subjects. Um, as there's been obviously a lot of controversy and change that has affected and will be affecting anyone wanting to study mining um, in the future. Um, so I thought it'd be uh, good to get Kim on on the podcast to um, see if we can um, discuss a few, a few, um, I suppose, topics around this whole uh, around this whole um, education uh, in the mining industry. So that's uh, welcome, Tim, Kim, to the podcast. How are you doing, Kim? All right. Thanks, Rob. Thanks very much for the invitation. Um, Good to see you. And thanks for everyone who's tuned in. Um, Yeah, great to have the opportunity to talk. Yeah. So um, obviously, as we uh, always start these podcasts, although I imagine a lot of people on the podcast will know who you are, but what they may not know is a little bit about your background. So I wanted to give uh, the audience um, a little bit about your, your background, obviously prior to Camborne. Um, and also maybe uh, give the audience a little bit, uh, tell us something that they may not even know about you. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, my background, uh, born and raised in Falmouth, Cornwall, um, not too far from the original home of the Camelon School of Mines. My dad was a hard rock miner down Crofty, and for anyone who knows South Crofty, he was there in the um, late 50s, 60s and the early 70s. Um, my stepdad, he came out of the Merchant Navy for a while and he worked at Jane and Pendarves. It was a bit wet for him, so he went back to sea. And um, my own career, basically, I did what a lot of young Cornish folk do the moment we graduate, we leave the county. Now, back in the day, my original undergrad was on the same campus as the Independent School of Mines. But I moved into an industry where I was basically um, producing technical communication, engineering communication. So for many years, I was working in the automotive and the aerospace industry. I then moved for a while into the um, global payments industry. And then returning to Falmouth, returning to my hometown in the early 2000s, with my daughter about to start school, um, the new School of Mines had been built as part of a shared campus, the University of Exeter, or rather an incorporation. And it was there that I um, did a qualification in surveying and land management. Um, Subsequently been invited back to teach on that, which I've been doing now for 11 years, but also chartered as a chartered surveyor in the UK, um, like a licensed surveyor. I work in land and resources, whether that's conveyancing, whether it's land registration, ground condition, land contamination, and um, most of it centered around impediment to value or development proposals and um, residual mineral problems. So very much um, part and parcel of pulling together 
where I'm from and what my interests are. So I've got foot in both camps. I work as an independent consultant, but I also lecture part-time. I teach what I do and I do what I teach. So I'm also in a position where I'm able to help some of our graduates get through to um, chartered positions, and that's always great. I think I've got about um, probably at least a dozen over recent years who've qualified as chartered mineral surveyors here in the UK. Uh, there's a real shortage, as there is with all good um, technical professional personnel. Lots of reasons for that, but um, there's very definitely the will in young folk when they get exposed to the industry. Yeah. Um, just before I go into some uh, more questions and obviously going over a little bit of your history, um, how are you finding working within the framework that you are working in? Um, and also, um, obviously, a lot of graduates do listen to this podcast. Um, what advice would you give graduates trying to get into industry? Um, and how, how can maybe Campbell help with facilitate that process as well? Okay, great. Well, message to graduates out there is, um, number one, it's, it's your qualification and your professional life ahead of you, and it's never too early to take ownership. Um, don't be afraid to actually make a, make a small nuisance of yourself. Don't spend too long crafting a four-page spec letter. You know, pick up the phone, send an email, ask anyone who might know someone. Um, one of the things we see at the School of Mines, because we've always had this collegiate atmosphere, is that it becomes an instant network anyway. So it's difficult sometimes, especially for students these days where they're dealing with quite burdensome debt. They're dealing with all sorts of problems, especially in the last 18 months around, you know, what, what's going to be waiting for them out there, dealing with COVID and, and uh, getting through their studies. But talk to people, go to your lecturers and say, do you know anyone? Join the professional networking groups, have a nose around, learn the language, see what's out there. Try and imagine yourself in it. But the biggest piece of advice really, I think, is don't worry. You know, you can be a year, 18 months, two years out of uni and still thinking, oh, this isn't quite right. No one gets it right first time. Everyone finds their way in. You keep on learning. You know, the university and the qualification is the starting point of your career. It's those early relationships you build and the confidence in yourself. And that will, that's what will get you through. Yeah. I mean, again, as, as a recruiter, I mean, a lot of companies don't generally come to me and ask for graduates, but obviously I get a lot of graduates coming to me and asking me if I can assist. I can't directly or necessarily assist them with job opportunities, but what I do is give them advice. And again, the advice that I give them is to network as much as you can approach companies directly approach maybe HR of some of the bigger mining companies um, or even smaller local mining companies, obviously in, in the Cornwall area. Um, but if you wanted to go and get some site experience in Africa, approach some of the, the British companies that are based out of, out of the UK that have operations maybe in Africa, maybe in Europe, approach them, knock on their door, ask them what opportunities that they've got. Again, if, you, if you're a bit adventurous, go to Australia. Um, obviously a bit difficult with uh, COVID at the moment because uh, they're not allowing anyone in 
as far as I know, they're not allowing anyone in. But it, what it is, it's, it is networking. Um, obviously, you can't do it physically, but it is you can do it via the obviously the internet, approaching people, and then try and have those conversations via Teams, Zoom, for instance, and and just and I think sometimes it is a numbers game. So um, anyone that's listening. Um, obviously, if you if you want any advice, happy to help. And obviously, as Kim Kim's pointed out, it is networking. So um, don't don't be afraid to approach people um, because everyone, I suppose, in your position would have had to gone through that anyway. That's right. Yeah, and absolutely. And also, if if you're worried about treading water, you know, marking time, and you think, well, I can't go away this year go and do something that engages you, go and do something interesting, you know, just, just keep busy because it's personality as much as ability and curiosity that'll really, you know, get you through the post. No one comes out of university an expert. No one's ever rounded the day they walk into the job. So don't worry, be curious and be open. And I think that's half the battle really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you give us an overview of your role as the chair of the board of directors at the Campbell School of Mines? Great. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, this is um, it's a bit of an honour, really. The Campbell School of Mines Association has been running in one shape or form for four or five decades. And for those of you who know CSM, you'll know that we are we have a sort of three part history the original School of Mines, and I've been privileged to have some great meetings with the class of 54. We've got a very active class of 64 who um, come and join us en masse for great discussions. And they remember the original days of the school's home back in Camborne. And then we had the period where the university was independent as its own campus. And that ran from the late 60s through to, well, 2004 really when the move to the shared campus, the combined universities for Cornwall um, occurred. So of course, we've then got um, all of our graduates who've come through the combined universities in Cornwall University of Exeter, Exeter relationship. Um, what is notable about the Camel School of Mines is that for many, many years, we've been awarding our own qualifications. So diploma at the Camel School of Mines, Associate of the Campbell School of Mines, Master of the Campbell School of Mines, so DIP, CSM, ACSM, MCSM. And these are really, you know, these are dual honours programmes. Um, they carry weight. They carry weight across the world here in CSMA office, our, our virtual office. We're often getting inquiries from really senior people who require um, transcripts or course content from the 70s and the 80s because of the position they're in, the responsibilities they're holding. And of course, you know, from those days, absolutely no problem. So our association is actually an independent self-funding organization formed on behalf of and including our members. There's um, over a thousand active members at the moment. Uh, we've got probably another 1,500 to 2,000 who aren't subscribing, but are within reach. Um, Traditionally, we support the CSM rugby. We have our annual dinner in the UK and we have various sundowners across the world. We've got a very active um, community over in Western Australia, especially 
big shout out to Western Australia. And as late as about 15 or 20 years ago, we probably had 14 at least very active chapters. And we're, we're rolling out a program now of getting in touch with people on the ground saying, hey, you know, why not get in touch with everyone you know, get them together. We've got this new digital age upon us. You know, suddenly everyone from our generation, we're behaving like our kids were six years ago where your mates just a moment away on the phone. It's a great opportunity. So we're self-funding, we're independent, uh, formed as a limited company, and our aims and objectives are to support our members, to support CSM students, and to promote the identity of the Campbellne School of Mines. And to that end, we've been working for the last two or three years ever more closely on um, industry-specific and industry strategic roadways into dealing with this problem you know what are we going to do about making sure that our kids and our kids generation can actually come through the way that we've come through and that the industry itself because it's not entirely altruistic you know that the industry has a pipeline of people who are aware able capable and um and ready primed so yeah, so the association uh, this year, I think is the 134th year that there'll be a graduating cohort of mining engineers. And it's the 125th year of Camon School of Mines Rugby Club. So everyone who's gone out from the members and actually bought their 125 rugby shirt, good on you, get out there and buy some more. So yes, um, I was appointed chair in May this year. It's a real honour. I've got a great board behind me. Um, you've had, well, you've had Mike Moore on chatting away. Mike did some great groundwork. So, I, you know, it's absolutely brilliant. And I must mention Dr. Carol Richards. Carol uh, was one of the early CSM women to achieve a PhD. She had a long and successful career. A lot of people know Carol. Carol and, and Linda have actually laid the groundwork, the association as it is, and are doing sterling work now as we're, you know, we're really moving forward. I mean, you see a lot of phrases here in the UK about building back better. Well, we've got loads of new opportunities and some really exciting projects. Um, unmitigated plug, if anyone's watching who let their membership lapse, come on, get back in the fold. We're doing some good stuff. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, right, I just want to, um, in relation to a recent um, SOMP report that was released, um, mm. is there any need to change what we're doing or will our current education models and uh, curriculum content serve our industry adequately um, for the next 20 years and beyond? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. The um, Society of Mining Professors put out a report in 2019. And it's an interesting body of people because one of the things that really strikes me about this report is that it puts a structure around all of these academics who are engaged in mining. A lot of them over in Europe where they take a, um, a different, shall we say, less... I think it's fair to say in the UK, it's become a more market-oriented approach to higher education. But they're looking at the actual issue of where do mining engineers come from? Now, the idea that they've got this, this one voice around it kind of belies the fact that as much as mining is an industry that's recognisable from the outside, there's no one cohesive voice. The same thing's true with the higher education sector. So... 
I think this is, you know, my own analysis, having looked at many reports that have been commissioned in recent years about what do we do? I think that one of the things that everybody in industry needs to understand is you can't really shout at the university sector in the same way that the university sector, which thinks it's very well informed about mining, can't shout at the industry. You're dealing with a case-by-case basis. Um, and that has come to the fore with um, our current situation at the School of Mines, which, of course, is the um, pausing of recruitment to the mining engineering programme. Now, in terms of do we need to be doing anything different? Sorry, coming back to your question, first of all, we need to work out who we is. Now, various standards and various national requirements for um, qualifications at certain level in industry have always driven you know, an awareness of, of curriculum content. Uh, we also now have the pace of change in mining. It's often said that you know, mining is a reluctant industry that doesn't really innovate. Well, yeah, I've worked in automotive and aerospace um, at reasonably high levels. And I think mining does actually do quite a good job of innovating, but it won't innovate unless there's a return on that innovation. And what we're seeing, I think, in some of the dialogue around are we doing the right thing is a tension between the university's own aspirations, whether they're league table driven or whether they're um, trying to shift that balance between the research and the teaching and what's actually going to fit. I mean, most mining companies, the bigger ones especially, have significant R&D budgets that would be the envy of many universities. So I think looking at what we need to be doing, one of the first questions is what have we been doing? Um, one of the things that we're quite proud of at CSMA is whatever that shape or form around the mining education has taken, one of the threads that comes through is that our students always have an exposure. They have a, they have a breadth, they have a rounded experience. Um, there's a certain interpersonal quality that comes from that collegiate atmosphere. So in terms of what do we need to do? Well, do we need to look at a mining curriculum that can have four or 500 students in a cohort? Do we need to look at programs that have a couple of dozen? Um, it, it's a really interesting question because it applies, it, everyone's looking for a global answer, but for each university, it applies to a local situation. I mean, we know that, for example, you know, Anglo are working away with the university in Tasmania. They're working locally there. They've got people on the ground they can support. Um, and we at CSMA, we're helping out with uh, institutions in West Africa we're helping them think about how they'd actually bring forward and, and build and integrate um, their own new traditions and new supply of mining engineers. So when you look at it, it's, it's a great question. And I think there needs to be a little more on, especially on the university side, a little more awareness of how that language has to move outside of the immediate circumstance. Um, but very definitely the university sector in the UK is facing significant change and pressures from outside. And it's against that backdrop that our question of what we're doing needs to be phrased. Hmm. With numbers obviously being down on applications, i.e. for mine engineering, what are some of the... I suppose some of the, the grammar schools or, or guys that are, are in sixth form 
and doing A-levels and then looking to go into, to, to go and do a degree, are they unaware of the mining industry? Uh, and again, I suppose if you could, if we just talk about the UK, I take it, and I might be wrong, but are they unaware of the mining industry in general? So these are six formers looking to choose what subjects they want to do as a degree. Are they being uninformed or misinformed um, around mining? So they're not even looking, no one is really even looking at mining, uh, mine engineering, for instance, as a subject. And I suppose some of the people that are studying mine engineering or go into that, they may have known someone that's done it previously, perhaps, or for somewhere they've understood mining, whether they've seen it on, on the internet, on YouTube and thought, oh, that looks good. I'm studying it. So, yeah. So does, do we look back at some of the some of the schools and some of the six forms and and that process of making mine engineering more or making it more aware to people that are choosing subjects? Yeah, that's um, that's a fascinating um, set of revelations, really, because at the time the pause was announced, um, the association um, and working with with Dr. Tony Batchelor, who's chair of the CSM Trust, we started doing some background investigation. And it was Tony who first identified that even the coding for the mining engineering program had vanished from these generic search lists that are in the, or sorry, not generic, from these course search lists that uh, UK um, prospective students choose their courses from. So it was invisible, the actual mining engineering program was invisible to all the um, processes by which a student might choose. Now going to, are the students informed? Well, part of the message gets buried. So although CSM students have the highest graduate salaries across the UK, it's those students who go into mining engineering, come from that program, who actually push that percentage up. How you get that message all the way back through um, dozens upon dozens of career fairs, career offices, um, various sort of points of engagement with young people, and then how you get that over and above a real societal shift, that really is a challenge. So in our experience, when we do get out to the ground, we, we on the ground and we've got some um, CSM staff members who go out and do great work in local schools, we've been waiting for the association to be given the opportunity to build and get into the schools. We've actually got um, an outreach program that's designed to run to, right up to the point where we next host the International Student Mining Games. Um, and this will involve people from industry coming in, taking part, getting out, because we've all found that when you get in front of school children, um, people making choices, the lights come on. But we're dealing with, you know, having to get their parents around the thinking. And unfortunately, you know, mining's never been its own best advocate, partly because it's it's relatively siloed. Um, universities in and of themselves compete. You know, there's there's not one voice around big topics. And the sort of zeitgeist at the moment around anything to do with the extractive industries here in the UK, everyone 
instantly seems to go, oh, my God, coal mining. You know, we've seen the, the problems around the Cumbrian operation for the coking coal. And, of course, that's run headlong into the whole kind of preparation for G7. But what's missing from the dialogue is the idea that somehow it's okay to keep outsourcing our own impact and footprint here in the UK and say we're hitting targets, but we're still driving around in hybrid SUVs made of metals and we've outsourced the problem. So this kind of dialogue, getting down to someone who's 15 or 16 and trying to choose subjects that will align them, you know, get, get them in the pathway, trying to get them to look at that, you know, we all know from the inside that mining has a huge variety of options. You've got environmental options, legal options, engineering, you've got electronics, you've got um, a really interesting world of big data and automation coming alive right now. But UK kids are still siloed. They're siloed around the choices that are open to them. I mean, even our poor old geologists, 1,200 students took geology last year. Or was it the year before at A-level? And that was down from nearly 2,200. And the year before, geology departments are being cut. And although they were, you know, part and parcel of the entrance, together with the engineering students or the electrical students who might suddenly become aware of mining, it's a real problem to get through that message. So one of the things that we are doing in the association is we're laying the groundwork to actually build um, uh, a presence for all the various options and flavors of mining, and then put this together in a way that will you know, bring young people into an awareness of the industry. I think it's worth saying as well, one of the other problems in recent years has been um, some of the entry tariffs. Now we've got probably nearly 50% of all young people in the UK going on to some form of higher education but the competition amongst the universities and the provision of courses doesn't necessarily tie in with anything other than their own particular aspirations based on their financial situation. You know, it's been said, it's been said to me, well, industry isn't our customer. You know, okay, well, we get that. Well, let us come through and help. And let us help actually put together that pathway. So there are a lot of, hurdles for mining to be overcome. I, mean, I do hear people saying, well, mining should take care of this. Well, actually, you know, let's have a look at what's on the ground here. Um, we can see a way through and with the association, we're focusing on um, how we're going to structure this dialogue in the coming months. We've got a, a rather large, exciting project underway. It's been gestating for probably about two years. And yeah. Um Obviously, talking about mining, uh, mining engineers, um, are mining engineers uh, becoming uh, an endangered, endangered species um, and no longer needed just because of the world of automated mines? Um, and that obviously is seems to be progressing more and more so um, into the future. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I've, I've seen a lot of reports that have picked up on this SOMP report. Um, and again, you know, it, it's come through a body of academics. So therefore, you know, it, it's given credence. But I think if I can give you an analogy, I don't know if you've seen recently, but all this aerial photography of the Saharan desert has shown out there are actually a lot more trees than people thought they were. You know, mining engineers are out there. The role of the mining engineer has arguably suffered from being chipped away at by various other activities 
being dropped in around them. You know, a, a mining engineer is not a not a data engineer. A mining engineer is someone who'll know what software is being used, how that design's run through, whether or not it actually plays out with what's being experienced on the ground, what the planning and cost implications are. You know, the mining engineers are what they always were. They're the ultimate sort of um, arbiters of, of, of the risk management of the profit. So in answer to your question, no, I don't think that mining engineers are endangered once they're actually out in play. I think the supply of mining engineers is very much endangered. Um, you know, getting to a position where it's easier to go out and headhunt than engage in bringing on your own mining engineers in-house. But again, you know, that's, that speaks to the problem. Where does any one company go to to actually make sure it's got mining engineers? So the, these are the problems. And this is one of the things with the association that we're very aware of. And we're, we've had a lot of good dialogue in the um, weeks in the run-up to Christmas pending an internal decision at the university. We hit the network and within about, I think, a week and a half, thanks to some real excellent work by our board members. Um, we had nearly two dozen companies come forward and their signatories to a mining education partnership. So we're going to be getting in touch with them over the next couple of months because we've been, you know, waiting to see how the decision process is rolling on within the university. But in that time, through our Centre of Mining Excellence scheme, we've actually become aware of a lot of new complementary opportunities as well. So yeah, we've, we've got things in the pipeline, but the mining engineer as such, I think if they can't spot the title in the careers office, how does anyone outside of mining spot what a mining engineer does? This is one of yeah, the problems, yeah. you know, sort of. Uh, yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned the code not being on the search list previously. Mm. Is that a mistake? Is it purpose? Is it because of an electronic fault? Um, have, have they sort of delved into that as to why it didn't come up on, on a search list? Um, well, this is, this is the $64,000 question. I mean, you know, emotions ran high when the pause was announced. And we're just saying, well, look, hold on, we'll step back and take a, an objective look at this. It is um, the kind of um, entry that can only be made by a registered HE provider. So whether it was something fell off the list, whether it was, you know, an oversight, um, benign neglect, others, we, we don't know. But anyway, it has been reinstated. It took some um, concerted lobbying, including of the uh, College of Engineering. Um, you know, Tony Batchelor got on the phone and made a lot of noise. It was good. So it's back. It's visible. And now we're, we're waiting for it to be populated with, with a live offering. We have our... CSM cohorts at the moment. There's first year just coming to completion and they're very much looking forward to things getting back to normal next year, second and third years. And we've got a, an MEng cohort who are just graduating in this, in this coming year. So it, it's back in place. If you go online and look at it, there's a very good description of what a mining engineer does. It's actually written by a recent graduate from um, 2017. So one of the best advocates, one of the you know biggest pool of advocacy for mining engineering are our re recent graduates. You know they can they can speak to their own cohort. I mean because we've you know our our experience 
for our generation of gray hairs is um, we can see the bigger picture, but we don't understand what it's like for the ones coming through. So the code is back in place. The description is there. Now we need to get those tools into the awareness of the careers officers, of um, anyone who might aspire to do this and, and look at how this whole HE offering and proposition can be, can be expanded. Yes, and, certainly. You know, it, is, it is growing like, like never before. There's such an opportunity to mix a, a career that involves travel, technology, finance, geology, engineering. It's, um, it's quite remarkable. So the good news has got to be put out there. And uh, that's very much what we're focusing on getting involved with over the coming years. Yeah. Um, and obviously with the lack of mine, mine engineers coming through the system, um, will the industry, I suppose, in the short term, rely more on sort of other disciplines like mechanical, um, maybe IT specialists, systems, process engineers? Do you think there's more an emphasis on those guys having a, a few different skill sets to assist with um, the lack of mine engineers in the industry? Yeah, again, depending upon the... Um ability of a company and it, it, its own should we say internal resources then bringing on your own people is often one of the very best ways of building that kind of experience that in you know 20 30 years might take you to the boardroom and then you've got you know real on the ground experience providing value for shareholders and also helping with that you know real real proper risk management we see a lot of boards populated with um you know uh, finance and, and legal professionals with deep experience. Um, some of the most robust companies actually have the people who've done the mining, have the mining engineering background or work their way up through under the tutelage and with the experience of mining engineers. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of our directors, uh, has, his company have recently opened a large technical training program uh, with facilities in Australia. It's a great initiative and they're bringing people through in their own environment. And this is one of the things we're looking at as the association. If we're putting, you know, giving people input into how they can think about a more rounded picture of bringing skills on is you, you don't have to start right at the very top. You can bring people up, bring people through. I mean, certainly there are people at very senior level in industry whose own experience wasn't to arrive fully polished with four A-levels, come out with a glowing piece of paper and then hit the tracks, they work their way up through. So, yeah. and this this is always, um, you know, sort of an expectation management for young folk because we, we've got a narrow window in which to persuade them. Their parents are making choices, you know, going back to it again. If they're getting into debt for 40 or 50,000 pounds here in the UK, they want to see a way out that can pay. I mean, what better way than mining? And similarly, there are plenty of, plenty of bright young folk out there who don't have a hope of going to a kind of university that might offer them this in. But if they can see a, a roadmap in through what's available to them at the beginning, then that is also, that's somewhere where mining can, can really help. As yeah, well. certainly. Yeah. And, it, and it's a primary industry that's always needed, um, yes. which again, people don't, I suppose the general public wouldn't know or wouldn't understand unless they're informed. Exactly. And I mean, again, looking at the UK, one of the, um, great institutions that we don't really hear about very often is Sirencester, the Royal Agricultural College. You know, there's, there's a cohort of about 1,100 students there. 
um, and it's the only dedicated agricultural college in the whole of the UK. It's got a heritage older than CSM, but again, you know, it speaks to the um, the way in which some ways wider society kind of turns its back on primary industry. We've got forestry, fishing, farming, and mining. But the fact that there's this real need for deep expertise and, and continuity. So, you know, there is there are good news stories out there with um, continuity and expertise. But again, you know, it's not mainstream. Hmm. So, yeah. So. Um, can these sort of other disciplines run the minds of the future? Uh, obviously, some of the disciplines we've just mentioned. Um, hmm. With the small amount of uh, amount of mining knowledge in place of the the traditional mining engineer. Yeah, well, that's a that's a sixty four thousand dollar question. But I think if we break it down and look at it, um, some of the tensions there are that maybe there's a great white hope of automation. Automation will replace so many human decision points. So many positions where you need you know need someone on the ground who might be you know expensive or at risk well from everything i've seen no that's not the case you will not be able to simply parachute someone into position um, with an array of various augmented aids and get the same responsiveness the same awareness of risk and also the same ability to communicate to other stakeholders in that risk management. I think it's it's a pretty dangerous um, sort of path to go down where you just automate or outsource or offset. You know, um, it's not to say that human decision-making is always perfect. You know, we've only got to look at the catastrophes in, um, in Brazil recently. And of course, you know, the whole of the industry gets beaten over the head for these failures of, um, failures of compliance and system thinking. I think it needs to have a more open conversation rather than simply mining becomes an arena for investment paths and positioning and, you know, let's get in and disrupt, you know, let's have a look at what we really need. And by and large, I think mining does look at what it really needs. There's a lot of really sensible, good thinking going on out there, but it never really makes the public because it's not interesting. You know, a mining, mining company does well makes profit for shareholders, rehabilitates mine, everyone goes home happy is not a news story. And unfortunately, when, you know, mining's disasters happen, they're really awful and, and people can really suffer. But, you know, you can look at how the aerospace industry manages and lobbies around its own particular, particular problems. Um, you know, aircraft manufacturers who suddenly can't sell their, one of their most popular models. There's a whole sort of, pattern of thinking around there and lobbying that arguably because mining is is so it's not really siloed but doesn't have that cohesive voice it, it um often doesn't have shall we say the the opportunities to explain itself yeah um you mentioned the story of mining do you think that story of mining will change moving forward um based on the green economy and what the governments want, or governments all around the world, what they want to, uh, what what they want to do and push for. Um, so, do you think that story can change for the better? Yeah, I, 
I think the story can change for the better. Um, it, it's a huge story. And, you know, we're in a position where things need to be done. They've needed to be done for a couple of decades. It's not going to happen without mining. We need electrification. We also need real rethinking around our infrastructure and what it's constructed with, how it's used, end of life. And mining is central to all of this whether it's bulk handling materials at end of life, whether it's primary sources, but in questions around what governments particularly want to do, there is, um, there's a real sense. I mean, here in the UK, we've, we've got the issues around, should we say repositioning post Brexit, where suddenly we are to a great extent out in the cold and a lot of old assumptions no longer stand, but trying to, compete rather than collaborate, trying to gain necessarily competitive advantage. These are all models of thinking that drive investment decision, whether or not they can be channeled into something that's genuinely constructive. That's, that's another issue. I mean, um, thinking about how we suddenly reinstate all of this industrial capacity. Okay. It's new capacity around battery factories, I think um, one of the best performing startups in the UK in the last six months to the year has been a company called Arrival. And they're actually building commercial electronic vehicles. They're not mass market high-end cars like a Tesla. Um, they're actually vehicles that will perform the day-to-day, -day, keeping the economy alive function. And that's really interesting. And we've seen the big investments in the Northeast um, the location for that particular site just happens to be conveniently near the North Sea interconnector. So it's got guaranteed power. So it's possible that the whole move for electrification will give the UK infrastructure the uplift that it really needs. Whether or not that message um, comes across in a constructive manner, you know, again, a bit of a personal bugbear. We don't always need to disrupt everything we need to evolve, then yeah, that, that's a good question. It's interesting to watch. Sorry, just going off on a tangent here. Um, what's happening down in Cornwall now? Of course, the good stuff has always been in the ground. And the question was, how can we get the model together to pay for it, to make a profit? And of course, now we have the issue of how are we going to do it cleanly? You know, I grew up in Cornwall. A lot of folk think it's a, it's a wonderful, bleak environment. Well, Cornwall's post-industrial. You know, we've got places that are downright toxic. We used to go and play in the arsenic calciner above Swampool. My mother's generation was told not to pick the blackberries on the hill. Okay, well, this, we've moved on from those times. But thinking constructively about how we can um, secure primary resources in the UK does require something of a culture shift in the UK. Um, it will happen, and the roadmap might not be the one that's expected by those who are in position, you know, five, 10 years ago, and this is becoming apparent. Um, but globally, going back to your question about what the governments want to do, again, there are, there are questions here about what, is, what exactly is happening right now. Okay, we're looking at electric vehicles, we're looking at, um, okay, let's, let's take Tesla, great product, it's a top-end luxury car. Most people aren't gonna buy a Tesla. Meanwhile, look at what General Motors are doing, and they're bringing out a modular electronic engine, so electric engine with a battery pack that can actually be retrofitted to some of their most popular vehicles. 
So what General Motors are doing is they're not saying throw away the whole car and then go out and buy something completely new with all, because all the sort of, um, let's call it carbon footprint and impact of constructing that. They're actually saying, let's get rid of your internal, internal combustion engine and put a new modular unit in, extend the life of that vehicle. And there's a new way of thinking there. So you've got a, you've got a model that doesn't necessarily require um, tens of millions of new vehicles to be sold every year. You've got tens of millions of new units and that'll require recyclable materials. Engines at the end of their life would probably drop back in, all go around, pop out again. One of the projects that I did back in the 90s, um, I used to work for Nissan Europe, was a sort of um, a catalogue of recyclable materials. And we did uh, a scratch sample of vehicles, pulled them in and went through and actually made an inventory of what could be recovered using preset sets of tools. This kind of thinking um, needs to be embedded, needs to be built in. The fact that mining is now on point for providing all the technology metals, mining is also going to be on point for providing all the iron ore, providing the copper. You know, we've got problems with the sand. It's not just about technology metals. So, yeah, there is a big dialogue. There's a new language and whether or not governments can actually cooperate, because I think there's a real sort of fear about being left behind and quite how some of these topics are being presented to the electorate um, is a problem. Whichever country you're living in, you know, this, this isn't a party issue. This should transcend party lines. Everyone should be working on it. I mean, other opinions obviously are available, probably for politicians, but uh, that's where we are. So interesting question, Rob, but, you know, the market finds various ways of doing things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um... What are the key challenges in securing the future talent pool of uh, British educated mine engineers and uh, mineral processing engineers, obviously from what we've been speaking and, um, um, and the, the, the reduced amounts of people coming into um, right. education within the UK, uh, within the, obviously the mining space? Yeah, um, well, what I'm going to use we here because... Uh, we talk about this at the board. We've got, we've got a meeting next week as well. Um, what we'd love to see is more awareness um, and entry points. Um, we'd like to see um, ways in which our mining expertise can be celebrated. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you're wearing an orange boiler suit, mucky hat and down a hole all the time. There, there are many, many more stories um, especially for lots of our young women who are out there in industry. Once this is, um, to use the phrase, modelled, you know, once young people can see it, then the people who are making the decisions based on what courses to offer, how to resource these, can actually get these in place and show them a pathway. You know, when you're 14, 15, 16, you're pretty much at the mercy of what's around you. And we're on the other side of a very high fence going, well, yeah, over here, that's there's a lot of people in between us and them. So hearts and minds is tricky because there are so many stakeholders in this. There's a lot of, it's a phrase my daughter introduced me to last week, actually, um, performative activism around what are actually fairly big issues. But most of all, what I'd like is for young folk to see the opportunities and realise that through getting into mining, they can actually make a difference. 
So they're not sitting there looking at this awful series of stuff going on and then, you know, maybe getting on social media on their iPhone that's probably generated about 10 tons of tailings in its production, but actually realizing there's a way in, get in, make a difference, be part of the future and be part of the solution, you know, and have a great time when you're doing it, build a community and make a difference. So, yeah, but again, we've got to think about how we get this across, how we um, encourage education institutions to get the infrastructure on the ground to actually be open to input from outside and how it becomes a collaborative effort. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple more questions. Um, how can the mining industry um, find ways to work with the educational system or sector? Um, and must they rely on universities alone? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question because um, the universities in and of themselves, in my experience, um, I also um, accredit undergraduate and master's programs on behalf of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. I'm on the Education Standards Board, so I, I do get to travel around and see some of the really great work that's going on in, in architecture, engineering and construction. Um, we're sort of the last bastion of mineral surveying down, down in Cornwall. And one of the most successful elements in those relationships are sort of human scale relationships between um, academics and industry contacts, kind of the human element that actually has unofficial ways of getting in elements that might support the course, might bring in a block of students from one place or another. It's about moving beyond simply that bluff presentation of, you know, a value proposition and, and keeping things alive, really. And that's one of the great opportunities that's come out of the last probably six months to a year with the association, with the work that Mike and the board were doing before I got the hot seat. And we're building on that now and is, is, is trying to get that relationship built. Again, the universities are under pressure. They really have some... Um, some situations ahead of them, they're suffering cuts from government funding, there's discussion around fees. So their bottom line is, you know, if we were looking at a university as potentially being a partner in a joint venture, their bottom line is they've, they've still got to see the numbers from it. So that's partly what we've got to navigate. But ultimately, there has to be a level of trust as well. Because for any one company to commit to any one institution, um, that can obviously bring its own tensions with it. Maybe other companies wouldn't be looking then at crossover. You know, you're managing a lot of difficult relationships. So one of the things that we're planning on doing with our um, Center of Mining Excellence is building somewhere that's partly institution neutral. And this, this will go a great way. You know, we, we can actually build a lens that a broad spectrum of companies and opportunities can be focused through. That's the idea. But in the, in the medium term, it's, it's all about relationships. You know, the very relationships that build on and keep our alumni network. When someone from CSM pops up on a, on a, new, a new project or, or a site, they probably know someone who knows someone and suddenly you've, you've clicked. And I think for a lot of academics as well, um, a lot of great folk that I, you know, I, I only lecture part-time, a lot of great people there they effectively get siloed away sometimes and they don't get to raise their head above the parapet and build these relationships. 
So yeah, really, it's right back to where we're thinking about young folk and going into industry, thinking about academics working with industry. It's about the relationships and the trust. And sometimes those don't really appear on a balance sheet or a planning schedule as of anything really. Yeah. And finally, um, and obviously this is hypothetically, um, what would you do with a magic government one um, to fix things? Ah, uh-huh. what? Well, it, it'd be a it'd be a busy week if I had one of those. Probably <laughs> guess sore arm Harry Potter style. One of the things, really, I think, is that the whole question of how we get our young people aware of the opportunities that are there for them and their opportunities to get in, build, become the change. That dialogue needs to happen, but it needs to be taken out of some of the more, shall we say, generic language around um, excellence and elitism. You know, we, we have we have a whole generation of, of young folk now who probably their parents wouldn't have dreamed of them doing anything other than going to university. But what are they going to do there? Well, a lot of the parents often haven't thought beyond that. So what I do with my magic government wand is I would engender some kind of shift in the language around education for our young folk. Yeah. Also try and work on a shift in awareness of where the stuff in our hands comes from, where the metal in our cars comes from, and also just actually give enough resources in the right place so that the money just doesn't disappear down sort of rabbit holes of pre-siloed opinion so big old wake up call but what i'd very definitely do is um start getting some money into looking at how we can start processing and refining our own materials yeah i'm I'm aware (laughs) absolutely because we can get it out of the ground we can innovate and you know we can look at how we're handling the waste there's a lot of really good work been done around the proposals for cornish metals you can take a look at that i mean it's you know, world class is a hackneyed phrase, but you know it's there. It's happening. Okay, yeah. we're not as in Cornwall's not going to be the site of the next, um, you know, the new Rio Tinto or the new Anglo. But goodness me, it doesn't have to be. You know, size is not excellence. Um, billion dollar turnover is very useful, but actually, you can have a you can have a fine world class um, professional and industrial presence without having to have all this language around the global competition. There's, there's some really great stuff going on as well over at Dalradian and various other small operations in and around the UK. So the, the culture is kind of there. So I think my government wand would actually start celebrating what we're doing and also celebrating our tradition. Yeah, certainly. At the very least, I'd get, um, I'd get the uh, CSM rugby team up to play an exhibition match. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. That would be good. great. Kim, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking to you, um, getting your thoughts on, obviously, the the educational system here, obviously, in relation to mining. Um, There's obviously a lot of work to do. Um, Things probably do look positive. Um, Obviously, we've spoken before, uh, obviously, recording this. Um, There's obviously a lot of work work to do, but there is plans in place to change things, um, ever how long that will take. And sometimes a crisis does create opportunities. 
So um, I think there is there is a future, definitely a future. Um, and obviously now's the time to to change people's minds and I suppose change strategy, um, which is obviously what you're behind and what you're looking to do. So um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, um, obviously I know you're on LinkedIn, but are you on any other social media platforms or um, can, how else can they sort of contact you? Okay, yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, it, it's it's absolutely an exciting time. There's a lot of there's a lot of potential out there. There is so much good to be done. And yeah, thanks. Anyone wants to get in touch with um, with myself? I'm on LinkedIn. I pretty much manage my um, social profile through LinkedIn. I mean, you don't want to hear me banging on about motorbikes, so I don't. I'm not, on LinkedIn anyway, but please get in touch with the association because the association isn't just me. We've got a very capable board um, and you'll find the CSM association website. It's going to be updated soon. So there's a couple of photographs on there where no one's gray yet, but you can look at our csmassociation.com email addresses and you can uh, email me, k.morton, M-O-R-E-T-O-N at csmassociation.com. You can email Dr. Carol Richards, our secretary, secretary at csmassociation.com, or you can just send it through to info at csmassociation.com. And yeah, we'll, um, we'll get back to you. But we, you know, anyone who wants to join us in our vision of, you know, getting this back on track and using our, um, our presence, our very real industry presence and history, we have some, it really is as a joy sometimes we get on the meetings with you know the classes of 64 and the other and then some of the younger folk and we had the students um, drop into the last board meeting it really is a proper professional community um come and join us on our journey and once we've got our um shall we say our future vision shaped up and punted out please come and join us and we'll all make a difference yeah certainly um and I appreciate every, anyone that's listening. Appreciate, again, if you can share share this, like this, if you're watching on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on the podcast, appreciate if you can just spread the word to um, everyone that you know in the mining industry, um, anywhere in the world, um, or even people that are not in the mining industry um, that may have um, children that are studying A-levels um get them interested in mining so maybe this could, could be a good episode that they could listen to um and then they can go onto the internet onto google and look at mining stuff and then hopefully they can uh they can uh, apply for a course so um yeah please if you can uh, keep sharing sharing this content out and then um, spreading the word really appreciate your time kim again thank you um and until next time happy mining thank you for listening Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.